episode 35, chapter 2 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Josh Havens. And I'm Chris Lamberth. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that He would help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. And today we're continuing our conversation with Jim and Alan Fadling about their book, What Does Your Soul Love? Jim and Alan Fadling are founders of Unhurried Living Incorporated, a nonprofit that resources and trains Christian leaders to rest deeper, live fuller, and lead better. Jim is a trained spiritual director, retreat speaker, and podcaster, and she enjoys serving as a guide with the intention of helping people encounter God in their very real lives. Alan is also a trained spiritual director, and he speaks and consults internationally with organizations such as Saddleback Church. InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and Open Doors International. He's the award-winning author of An Unhurried Leader and An Unhurried Life, which was honored with a Christianity Today Award of Merit in Spirituality. As we talked about yesterday with Jim and Alan, knowing who we are in Christ is crucial for us if we are to genuinely grow in our relationship with Him. But what happens if you realize your motives are wrong? If you're honest with yourself, you will recognize that at least at some point in your life, your desire to grow is at least in part motivated by a desire to measure up to the expectations of God and others so you can earn their approval. So that's why in this chapter, we talk to Jim and Alan about the eight questions from their book, What Does Your Soul Love? These eight questions become a guide to help you evaluate your motives and a tool for realigning your heart to the heart of God. What would you say to somebody then if they realize that their desire to grow up to this point has been fueled at least in part by that desire to earn God's love? So I'll tell you what, I'll make you even a real life example out of that. Okay. Just the last week, just this last week, I was doing some of my own reflecting and realized that in some of my areas of, of wanting to grow, it was out of a desire to like... I, I literally caught myself praying, God, make me more like you in this area. And then having the thought, good, once that happens, everybody will accept me. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yep. Well. And so if there's somebody out there like that who's struggling to want to grow for the right reasons um, mm. and, and realizing that, like Chris said, they're doing it that out of this desire to either earn God's love or to grow to a point where they're. I don't know, something great and can be accepted by others. How, how would you go about uh, helping them move beyond that? <clears throat> so when I get a chance to come alongside leaders, because I think leaders are, are especially susceptible mm -hmm. to this dynamic, and I, I'll just back up by saying I went into ministry 35 years ago in part because I think God invited me to. I think I was called. I believe in that. But I also went into ministry because it was a great way to get recognition. You know, I just love the great sermon, Pastor Allen's, man. I just had my little tin cup and, <laughs> you know, hand it around, get all my little shiny coins of good sermon, Pastor Allen. Yeah. Um, so this is where to intersect this sense of identity and the sense of the practices. This is where I think Dallas Willard was so genius. He would take the practices and he said, there's basically two main categories. There's these disciplines of engagement and these disciplines of abstinence, or or you could say disengagement. If you want to use the metaphor of breathing, it's the exhale and the inhale. It's the receptivity and the activity. Leaders 
often are trying to prove things by their activities and they're not sufficiently giving attention to their receptivities. So that's why I think practices like solitude and silence and the other practices of disengagement or of emptying or of unlearning or of inhaling, they're so important for at least one reason. In those moments, you're not doing something to prove something. Mm -hmm. You are merely being receptive. Almost all the times God's affirmed his affection for me have not been, I did this amazing thing for God, and then he said, oh, I really love you. Almost because then I would be tempted to think, well, of course you do. Why wouldn't you? I've been quite an amazing person. But it's when I've been alone. It's when I've been quiet. It's when I've been outside the social, you know, uh, environment that God says, by the way, you know, you're my beloved son. I'm very pleased with you. He gives that as a gift. I'm tempted to try and earn it like a paycheck. But that's why I think those disciplines become so important. That's where I remember who I am in places of listening, in places of simply being present to God. And then I take that into my world as a confident resource. And then I express my identity. But if I try to prove my identity out there or prove my identity by my constellation of spiritual practices, I'm already in a trap. Mm, that's great. Yeah. Well, think about think about the woman caught, caught in adultery. That's one of my favorite stories. And we we're talking before about not just doing what Jesus did or saying what he did, but, but his way, the way of Jesus, how gracious he was with her. And the way that whole story plays out where, you know, he's riding on the ground and telling other people, you know, if you, you know, we all know the story. If you've got a stone, go ahead and cast it. And they all walk away. And then Jesus just graciously says, where'd they go? Is there anyone? Is there anyone? She's like, they've all gone. Yeah. So no one can, no one's condemning you. Well, neither do I. I mean, just this whole interaction of grace. And of course, we like to capitalize on the last sentence. We'll go and sin no more. You know how we come from a tradition where yeah, yeah. it's in like bold letters. And that's what we think we have to tell people. But we ignore the the entire beauty of the the personal interaction of accepting this woman right where she was and loving her and actually condemning the the judgment, the judgmental voices and then, of course, saying, go and sin no more. But it come, those words come after you have this sense of trust and love built. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, I think it's important to image Jesus as this person who's coming at us first with grace and understanding. And he sees and he knows and he empathizes. Yeah. Well, and, and to your point that you made earlier about it's God's love that enables us to grow, we need that sort of an experience so that we can go and sin no more. Like we need to have that grace be given to us. And then that's what I think once we really capture that and I mean, our lives feel like a a never ending undulation. It feels like between recognizing grace and then feeling like, oh, where is God's grace? But um, <laughs> like when you capture that, it, it like you have those mountaintop experiences and you're just like, forgive me, God, I'm a sinner. Like. It, that's the last thing you ever want to do, right, is to fall yeah. into that. And so um, you can only imagine, though, that that's what that woman was experiencing in those moments. But that oh. grace was the thing that enabled her to go and sin no more. Oh, yes, yes. Exactly. That's great. Um, I want to jump into uh, some of the questions here, the eight questions that you guys have that reveal God's work in us. 
Um, so real quick, can we just run through what the eight questions are and then we'll sort of break them up a little bit and dive yeah. in. So if we can just read them real quick. <laughs> sure. So there, there's eight of them. So we have desire and the question is, what do you really want? Resistance. What is getting in your way? Vulnerability. Where are you hiding? Truth. What is most real to you? Pain. How are you suffering? Fear. What are you afraid of? Control. What are you clinging to? And joy. What does your soul love? Which is mm. the title of the book. Yeah. So yeah. one of the things I love about these questions is that they make such a great progression throughout the book. And now we're not obviously going to be able to get into all the questions. So people just have to go out and buy the book and then they can, they can <laughs> run through them. Um, so we got to hit some of the highlights here. But um, so what was the process like coming up with these specific questions? Jim, you sort of already alluded that this came from some specific yeah. stuff. And, and we like to explore the why behind the tasks. You know, it's, yeah. it's not enough for us just to say, hey, go and read your Bible. But we want to say, like, well, why should we read our Bible? What, what's, what's that going to do? Why, you know, and until we can really understand the why and adopt that, um, you know, that's the thing that we think that really leads us into that everlasting change. And so, uh, yeah. yeah, how did these questions come about? Yeah, so we, we think questions are critical. I mean, a good question will just take you miles. And think about how many times Jesus would ask a question, what do you want me to do for you? Mm. You know, what the, the story we just heard, where did the people go? You know, he's, in, he's engaging us so that we can use our God-given ability to think this through and, and get a little more out of it yeah. than just this stale interaction, right? Yeah, We're, and the, and the nature of these questions— yeah. They're not the kind of question you look at, puzzle over, answer, and leave. Right. Mm. These are the sorts of questions you live. And Jesus is a master of asking the kinds of questions that linger with you. Yeah. Um, he likes to ask questions in a way that draw us close to him and keep us close to him. We like to ask questions that we kind of hope will get answered in some final way so I can move on and use the the goodie that I got out of my question. So these questions are lived questions, at least mm -hmm. at their very best. And yeah. so that's why, and the other thing about them is when both of us look at these questions, we realize uh, I've had to bump into that question a lot of times over 30 or 40 years of adult life. And, uh, and so I think they're the kinds of questions that you could revisit over your entire uh, adult journey and keep learning and leaning into this transformation process. Yeah. I, and the questions by no means are some new idea. I think they're just common to people, which is why they mm. showed up in my life, because I'm just a common person living my life. But these are, I mean, who doesn't suffer? Mm -hmm. Who Who is just completely unafraid of everything, right? Most of us have control issues. Um, a lot of us struggle with being vulnerable. These are These are common. And so I think all I did was just ask the question to start watching and collecting some of the the ideas. And so originally it was seven. Uh, when we got to the book, it became eight because things happen. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, there's there's nothing unusual here. But I think the opportunity for growth is immense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other say about the questions is it's not like a an eight step process, right. you know, yeah. answer one, then we'll move to two and so on. Yeah. But, but 
I do think starting with desire was an important first question to ask. I mean, at its simplest, what you have to ask, answer the question, and Jesus invites us to answer it honestly. Do you want to change? Mm-hmm. You have to decide if you want that. If, yeah. uh, and he's happy to walk alongside us if indeed we do want that. He says, repent. You know, the kingdom is, is at hand. I'm here. Uh, you can turn. You can change. That's great news. Mm-hmm. So desire, you have to start with, do I want this? Do I want to enter in? Do I want to follow Jesus? Do I want my life to be changed? I just happen to think it's the best news going. And that's what I think people, uh, what I hope people will catch about the gospel, about the good news, about this be transformed invitation. But you still have to decide. Some people, Jesus said, come, come follow me. And they didn't want to. Yeah. We have to decide if we want this. And so that's the start. At the end, the last chapter two is strategic in the sense of joy. Uh, sometimes discipleship can become this journey of I have to, I need to, I should, obligation, responsibility. It can become burdensome. The commands can feel somehow heavy. And it's mostly because of my vision of them, not because they are in themselves burdensome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think joy, you know, the joy of God strengthens us. It energizes us for this journey, for the the joy set before him. Jesus takes his journey and we're invited to the same. Joy energizes us. And so that's why I, I just think this is such genius news. That there's every reason to be joyful about this invitation. Jesus' question to several of the people he healed is powerful. Do you want to be healed? Or, as Alan put it, do you want to change? Most of us want to remain comfortable. We don't like to be stretched. But it's in those places of stretching and being stretched that God does most of his work in our lives. It's a place of change, and it means letting go of our desire for control and safety. It means trusting God for those things when we're in that vulnerable place of being stretched. I want to challenge you to ask yourself the question Jem and Alan walked through in this chapter. If you want to grow and create a lifestyle of discipleship, these questions are a great guide to help you understand not only your motives, but the places in your life where God wants to start transforming you. This won't be a pain-free process, though. It involves some stretching and getting you out of your comfort zone as you think about and talk about things you're afraid to even admit to yourself. But as you begin this process, never forget your identity. You are a beloved child of God, and your transformation isn't about getting God to accept you. Your transformation is the byproduct of building a close relationship with Him. He wants to fill your life with joy, and that happens in ever-increasing levels as you stay close by His side in the everyday moments of life. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible 
if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about Jem and Alan's work, check out unhurriedliving.com. Then check out the next chapter in our conversation, where Jem and Alan unpack the value of abiding with Jesus. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Spotify.